Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. It's our uh, Friday wrap uh, episode, as always, and uh, I'm pumped here with a with our co-host Jazz and John here to give you guys and give everyone a bit of an update in terms of what's been happening around the world, gents. Are we pumped? Are we excited? It's been it's been never short of news this week, aren't we? Oh, look, very excited, David. I just did a cartwheel and a forward roll. It was like year six PE, and I'm very excited. Year let's let's PE. do it. <laughs> <laughs> we need to put the video on there, mate. The forward you roll, forward roll, very popular. <laughs> and Jazz, how are you? Yeah, really good, David. Thanks for asking, uh, David. Before you jumped on the pod. John mm-hmm. and I were talking about he's thinking of buying a car, right? And he said that he's thinking of buying Toyota, uh, Rav or something. Now, here's a question. Oil price has gone up a lot. Why is he still buying? John, why are you still buying? Up. Why are you still buying what they call an ICE car? Well, it, it was, it's the, it was, the, it, we were looking at the hybrid, but uh, uh, I, I, I still think that um, fully electric is, I definitely think it's the future. I think there's going to be taxes on old uh, carburetor engines, but... Uh, Here's the butt part. <laughs> well, I, I just think plugging it into the grid is, uh, is it's, it's crazy, right? Like the hybrid engine recharges the battery as you drive. Like that, that's, that sounds clever to me, so... Well, look, wait, wait for it until one day... The, the car will be recharging itself as it drives. That's probably yeah, when you yeah. when, when you would go full blown. But mate, Tesla all the way. Why would you consider any kind of other hybrid? <laughs> oh, here's, here's a guy who's got Tesla shares. To- <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know. I've got no vested interest here, right? But I only own a couple of those shares. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I didn't realize I was stealing from you uh, at the showroom today. But uh, when you put it that way. No, but to be honest, like, you know, the petrol prices are going crazy at the moment, right? Like to bring it back to earth. And uh, I mean, we've talked about it in the last episode as well. The oil is not going to seem to come down anytime mm. soon. So you got to factor that in if you are still buying. And I mean, from from an environmental and sustainability perspective as well, um, you know, it's the, the, the ICE engines, which is the old petrol type of cars, you know, you require yearly maintenances. Um, and electric cars going to be different moving forward. So anyway, just... My two cents. Um, all right. So bringing it back to the topics that we have today, um, the biggest one, well, they're all pretty big, to be honest. But let's say, uh, let's kick it off with the US inflation. The US inflation figures have, have came out and it's, gosh, it's like, this is a huge number, 7.9%. I don't know how those US people are going to be, to be able to survive at these type of inflations. And I would be so surprised if... Fed does not raise rates now. I mean, looking at that type of figures, like to be able to hedge against inflation, right? But um, what does that? But what does that mean? Like, you know, in terms of, I mean, we talked about US inflations, and and we know that the last couple of quarters, the, the inflation figures have been going absolute crazy. Um, so how how would that impact? How would that impact the US uh, people? I'd like to start today. Jazz. So go for it, Jazz. You're waving at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the always, I'm the one who's always in trouble, isn't it? <laughs> um, let's get started. So, inflation print for February is seven point nine percent. Just came in, right? Here's the here's the interesting thing to me. Fed is sitting sitting in a very funny space. Um, they'll have to let one of the two things go, in my opinion, either the financial markets or the inflation. 
they're not going to be able to tackle both this time personally. Because if they tackle uh, financial markets, then the inflation is going to keep rising, which means they cannot rise rates, right? So they're going to decide whether they want to make 10% of the people ha happy who control the S&P 500 or the stock markets, or they want to look after the majority of the population who are struggling with their uh, daily life expenses. And I think this time, personally, um, Biden's, uh, Biden and Jerome Powell's biggest head is going to be inflation, which means they will have to, in my opinion, uh, definitely raise rates. However, that leads to another question, which we'll discuss separately, whether it in whether in this podcast or in future, is the what that means for the bond yields, and does that means bond uh, the that the yield curve is going to be inverted again? But I will not go there just yet. I'll leave it there. Uh, John, your take? Yeah, inflation is such an interesting topic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back up the truck a little bit. Um, on Talkback Radio, they're talking about uh, inflation a lot at the moment. So there's uh, all the usual talking heads are talking about inflation and how difficult it is to, you know, go to the grocery store and pay for your private health insurance and all that sort of stuff. But the thing that really sort of sticks in my craw is everyone talks about inflation, but no one knows where inflation comes from. Everyone thinks inflation is because, you know, these horrible business people put their prices up. In inflation is the cost of having low interest rates. We all, we all are told to celebrate that uh, low interest rates are great for us. Low interest rates are basically infl where inflation comes from. Um, and so I just feel like we, we don't have good conversations at the moment. You know, back in the 1970s, when, which, which was the last period of, of high inflation, Milton Friedman had a show on TV called Free to Choose. It was like Donahue sort of thing. So I always get a little bit annoyed that we talk about inflation as though as though it, it, it itself is the phenomenon, but the phenomenon is the, the money printing um, and so on. Uh, that said, look, uh, the US are going to raise rates next week. There's, there's like no doubt about it. I still think that they're going to drag their feet after that, but they've signaled that they're going to raise rates. And inflation's a big problem. Inflation is um, it's a monetary phenomenon, but there's also some weird and sinister stuff happening in the oil market um, that we'll talk about a little bit later, but the US are not mining and not, are not drilling for the, their own oil under this administration. So th there are shortages that are being created, and we'll, we'll talk a bit about why that's pot potentially happening. Um, now, 7.9% is a big inflation number. It's a big inflation number. Um, yesterday, the ECB met and they did not put rates up. So at their March meeting, the European Central Bank didn't put rates up. They said that they're not putting rates up, but that they would start to tighten the, the balance sheet earlier than they had previously signalled. Um, so, so everyone's tightening in one way or another. Um, the RBA, so in Australia, inflation is closer to 3 or 4%. And so, so far with the current data set, there hasn't been the urgency for the RBA to follow the ECB and, and the Fed in particular to raise rates. Um, and so everyone's sort of waiting with bated breath on the next uh, inflation print in Australia to say, are we going to join the club of 7% uh, inflation countries or are we just going to be stuck at 3 or 4%? So we'll, we'll see. Um, rates are going to have to rise. My view is that 
they can't really rise as much as they're going to need to, and we're going to be we're going to stay inflationary for for some time. Um, but, but it's it's the story of our time. You know, one other thing, one other thing, we don't measure inflation the way we did in the seventies. So if we're saying we've got a uh, we've got inflation at seven point nine percent. Um, if we measured it the way we measured it back in the 70s, we would have inflation of, uh, I think it would be like 18%. Yeah. And that actually is what feels more correct. Um, but, you know, you change the methodology and you change the story. Very true. Um, Jen, so the question, do, do you guys know enough about what contributed the biggest change out of that 7.9%? Like, do you know what, what's, what's the biggest contributing factor? Would that be the, would that be the oil? Because I know the the global oil is probably the one that's that's putting. I, I can cover that pressure, you, David. Uh, it's not the so oil is not. I won't. I won't take that into the no, no, into the account. Um, I think it's more the in general. So uh, just groceries, like you know, in okay. terms of day to day day to day consumptions. Look, yeah, because if you look at just um, the uh, in the last two to three weeks, just the uh, agriculture. Uh, yeah. really, really okay. raw material the prices have just gone up crazy like wheat as an example is yeah. one of the things right so um, and then you look at the other things whether it's the uh, labor and all that stuff all of that is obviously rising so it's the raw material prices that are rising oil separate story real estate separate story but it's it's more of the uh, raw materials uh, mm. and the supply chains disruptions that are partly causing it as well to some extent in my opinion all of that combined together is uh, part of the story. I've got an article here and it's saying the gain was due to broad-based broad jumps in areas of basic needs for consumers, yeah. food, f- f- uh, food, fuel, and shelter. Food, fuel, and shelter. Yeah. Okay. So rents, that would be rents and, and, and food and so on. Yeah. Just, just to give it some perspective, when we say 7.9%, this is a 40-year high print. And yeah. this is also this is this is the, this is not even the right way of calculating, by the way. But anyways, going by their calculation, it's forty-year high print. You know why the inflation has to happen as well. Inflation that they have to leave inflation alone because, um, because this is the way you pay back debt without noticing it. This is this is us paying the piper for the COVID lockdown. Right. So, so we're always, you know, Westerners are always told that there's no cost to having these budget deficits and the welfare systems and all that sort of stuff and the lockdowns and you can lock down and tell everyone not, not to go to work and uh, you can send everyone a check. And then when the bill comes, the bill doesn't come in higher taxes. The bill comes in the form of inflation and that's how you pay for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see. Um, it's a, it's a uh, big conundrum for Fed, in my opinion, where how are they going to, I mean, it's a, it's a big challenge in terms of tackling this print that has just showed up of 7.98%. Uh, because this is the first time the rates are at zero. Like, literally yeah. at mm-hmm. zero, right? Uh, and the balance sheet is fully expanded. Uh, which means if they rate raise, if, if they if they raise rates, which they have to to control inflation, uh, it's going to slow down the economic growth a lot. Which raises a question: We talk about inflation, we talk about deflation. Is it stagflation? Possibly. So, mm-hmm. let me see. John, got any thoughts? 
Uh, is it, yes, we're, we're, this is a period of stagflation uh, because we have we have uh, low growth and high high inflation. But you, you, when you're talking about how do you get GDP growth out of it, I mean, I think that that is the the corner that the Fed has backed into, as you said. I think that's exactly right. So, you know, for every dollar of debt that's been issued since like the '70s, we used to get three dollars of GDP. And then in the 80s, it was every dollar of debt that was printed, we'd get $2 of GDP. And then in the 90s, you'd get $1.50. Now for every dollar of debt that we um, that the, the Fed issues, for every dollar of debt that the government takes on in, through the federal deficits, they're getting about 20 cents worth of economic um, growth. So, so the, we're at the end of the debt cycle. Um, where does the where does the growth come from? The, the the flip side of that is if you start to suck the debt back in and you start putting interest rates up and selling treasuries right, rather than buying them and all that sort of stuff. If you start to suck the debt back in, it's going to have a big impact on GDP mm-hmm. because there's nowhere we don't growth isn't coming from anywhere else. We're not really producing that much stuff. Uh, we buy houses, the houses go up in value, and we spend the money and we have a debt-based system. What happens when you suck the debt ba- the debt back in? There's no growth, and we're kind of screwed. I think we might be near the end of the system. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting take, and I think that's something to be discussed in a separate episode because it's a part of its own. Uh, that is this the end of Bretton Woods two? Ah, yes. And mm-hmm. what is Bretton Woods three going to look like? And uh, something to be discussed, but we'll, we'll we'll try and cover that up next week, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but that is a good point, and I think you know, John, you mentioned how so. How does that? How is that going to be impacting? I guess RBA's decision moving forward as well. You did mention that you know we're not, uh, we don't, we're not seeing these kind of high inflation figures in 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 Australia, even though you know the the inflation numbers definitely have been picking up. Um, if the Fed raises rates, would would uh, would the RBA be also be under the same pressure to be to be needing to raise rates? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the RBA will probably still raise rates maybe in November or something like that. I think that there'll be enough inflationary momentum by then. But the best thing that the best thing that is happening to the RBA is that house prices have stopped going up in Sydney and also Melbourne. Mm. Um, the, the, that's the best thing. So I don't think that they're going to move monetary policy because, you know, Adelaide and Brisbane are going up. I think it's Sydney prices are slightly coming down. And I think that that's going to uh, allow them to take a cautious approach with with um, rate rises. Yeah, because at the same time, like you know, like they don't want to be raising the rates too too hard, too fast. Mm-hmm. That's going to cause uh, damage to people's um, you know ability to to be able to afford, to be able to spend, causing economic damage, which is economic recovery. That's what we want at the moment, right? So, mm-hmm. mm, okay, now interesting to see. Look, I'll, uh, well, just on that. Abi has already signaled. This is on the in, in the news this morning in AFR. Right? Yeah. Abi has already signaled that with the uh, most recent numbers of the CPI print in the US, uh, they see a very likelihood of a 0.25 rate rise uh, happening. Uh, obviously, uh, in US, it's going to happen, uh, but uh, it will happen. It, the rates will start to increase this year in Australia as well. So they've signaled that basically. I think the other the other factor to consider here, though, is uh, is also about wage growth because I know that's the other that's the other component that Philip Lowe is is also uh, looking to to be able to see the wage growth need to be able to hit a certain degree for them to be able to continuously 
raise the interest rates moving forward. I mean, you know, 0.25% initially is not going to be a big dent to anyone's pocket at all, but it's all about planning for future and bring it back to, I think 2.5% was the, was the, was kind of a baseline that the governor want to bring it back to in a longer run. Right. You hit the nail in the head. Um, David, uh, the reading for the wage inflation in US is at 40 year high as well, 5.7%. Mm, there you go. So um, I'm assuming something similar will show up in Australia too. But the question is how, I mean, okay, so so let's, let's think about it logically. We're opening up the borders now at the moment, which means there's going to be more skilled migrants coming in, right? And these people are going to be competing for jobs in terms of the, with the local people that we have at the moment. So that to me would drive unemployment up and dry, also drive the salary. Uh, I mean, the, the wage growth, it's not going to rise as much as like, as we all like in that so, sense, because there's more competition. So yes and no. Yes. At a micro level, it will become a little bit more competitive. Yeah. But in my opinion, a macro level with everything that we are seeing, whether we, whether we are talking oil or commodities, everything else in general, that is going to feed because it's the, and these things are, by the way, not even a part of the CPI print, right? Mm. In general, it's going to slowly feed into the economy. Obviously, these things take a little bit of time, right? So long story short, um, at a micro, yes, that will create a little bit of competition and um, put a lid, but at a macro, no. I agree with all that stuff. The only thing I'd say is like wages are going up a lot and part of the, and there is a real labor shortage. It's, it's interesting that it's hard to find workers and, and skill shortages are out there and, and so on. Part of, part of what's happening as well is that um, a lot of the um, welfare programs that have been introduced uh, related to COVID and some of them still around um, employers compete for talent but they're also competing with the government welfare system as well. So they need to be able to pay more than someone would be able to get as an alternative via the welfare system. And one of the reasons that wages have had to go up is because the alternative, which is welfare, has been so generous recently. So wages have had to go up to compete with that. So you can so it's you compete with everyone, including the government, and the government can print their um their money. It's it's, it's a bit unfair. In other words, there's too many bums around in Australia <laughs> enjoying welfare without having to work. I go, if I can sit back and get a thousand bucks a week, <laughs> why would I want to go out there and work to get a thousand bucks a week? <laughs> well, it's quite rational. It's quite rational. Like it, it creates this hurdle, right? You need to pay me over X before I'll come and work with you. But the problem is in the long term, the lack of skills that that um, creates uh, leaves you behind. And then in 10 yeah. years time, we'll be c- complaining about wealth inequality. And also the GDP numbers start to go down yeah. as well, right? Which is what we need to be able to recover from the debt. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, so that's good coverage. Thank you. Thank you, gents, in terms of the US inflation. Um, let's talk a bit about commodity because that's, that commodities in general, especially nickel this, uh, this week, has really, really gone up. Um, and I think the same thing with gold, um, you know, all the, all the, all the precious metals. Um, John, would you like to give us a bit of update in terms of uh, what's been happening there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll, look, I'll leave oil to last because the story this this week has been oil, uh, and I think we can make a big topic out of it. But look, gold um, gold's hovering around two thousand dollars, but during the week it, it touched 
uh, a new all-time high of about $2,040. So we're right back there. Um, listeners of this program will know that that means that we've completed the cup and handle formation that, that's been going on for about 11 years. That's a big, big, big deal. So we're probably, I mean, I think we're higher from here, but I actually think that the the bull market is just starting now. Like we've completed the, the cup and handle formation and now the, the bull run begins. And I think that the gold price has a lot of catching up to do, but this is just, just my opinion and God knows I've been wrong on gold before. Um, so big, big week for gold. So it's down, it's down at back at 2000. So it's bounced off that high. Uh, silver is doing well, but silver, silver's still at like $27. All-time high is $50. So it's still half its all-time high, which is insane. But silver's doing really well. And silver's uh, gold on steroids. Um Uranium has gone up. So uranium is is a very interesting, obviously, that's where the nuclear energy comes from. But uranium um, is obviously going to be the energy source that Europe relies on if the gas is turned off by Russia. So uh, uranium is really interesting. And uranium has gone up by 25% in the last three weeks. So uranium is definitely one to watch. And, and there are some like uranium producers out there that is again like a very leveraged and volatile way to play the uranium space but i just and i personally don't own anything there but that would be definitely a, a, an option um for some supercharged returns or losses um and nickel so uh, jazz will tell us about nickel but nickel went vertical this week and nickel is what uh, we need in our battery. So every time you're buying your, so in your Teslas and in my um, Rav4 hybrid uh, base model, whatever uh, whatever it is we're looking at, um, so that uses a lot of nickel. And one of the interesting things about about nickel is that we get ushered into these electric vehicles as though it's it's environmentally sound. But the problem is that um, most mining mining around the world would need to triple to satisfy the needs of all these electric vehicles if that's the way we go. So they switch off the coal. So now we've got to ramp up the mining of nickel and copper in particular, uh, as well as a couple of other things to, 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 to electrify everything. So nickel, nickel went vertical. Um, I'm going to stop there because I think we'll, we'll come back to oil, but oil was the story of the week. Um, Jazz, do you want to like flesh out maybe the nickel story a little bit? Yeah, just before we touch on the nickel, um, in general, I think the... So I did a podcast which has already been published with Florian, who is based mm-hmm. in Germany, right? Strongly recommend listeners to listen to it uh, if they want to know about commodities. Um, so I honestly think we are in a commodities super cycle. Yep. I think tech stocks and S&P 500 at the moment, S&P 500 currently at the moment comprises probably only 2% of the commodities. Rest everything is tech and other stuff, right? And I think that is about to shift heavily with that 2% turning to 10 or 20%, I don't know whatever that number will be, where majority of the big companies listed in the the S&P 500 will be actually commodity commodity companies, right? So I think we are heading in a super cycle for commodities. Tech is going to suffer. Uh, The S&P 500 is going to chop and change uh, with more commodities companies added into that. Um, And... uh, whether you look at gold, silver, platinum, palladium, palladium doubled in the last three or four months. So that's because that's because the Ukraine is like the world's second biggest palladium producer. Correct. Yeah. So, so all all this is pointing to one thing, in my opinion, which is basically, and this is an, this will be a separate podcast of its own as well, which which we'll try and do it in the future next few weeks. Is the um, is the is the is the 
currency as we know it ending, uh, which is the fiat money backed by nothing? And are we headed more into the uh, currency that is backed by commodities and other stuff, whatever that will be, right? So uh, uh, hence we are seeing is all this rotation, big time rotation happening into the energy sector now, right now and the commodities. Nickel. Nickel has been very interesting this week. So nickel went up from, I think it was uh, in the last three to four months. May, uh, well, the big jump came in last week, but it's went up from 20,000 to almost 100,000. Wow. So, so when we talk about CPI, it's not taking into account nickel. It's not taking into account oil. It's not taking into account any of the other commodities. And partly the reason being, again, is the Russia-Ukraine story over there. Right? So uh, all of this is only pointing to one thing, in my opinion, and uranium. John already talked about uranium. Uranium, uranium is sitting at 51.40 or 51.04, somewhere, somewhere between 51 to 52 is yeah. the price of the uranium currently, right? Um, and the last high of uranium that we saw, uh, John, if, uh, remind me if I'm wrong, it was somewhere around 140, 150. If I'm not wrong, by the time this cycle ends, uh, whether it's five years or 10 years away, I don't know, but uh, we'll see probably uranium three or four X from here. And the reason, sole reason being for that is we are shifting to from a petrodollar system to, in my opinion, uh, petro commodities, petro central currencies, petro XYZ system. And that is a chapter in itself. All right, Jazz, you did it. You, 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 let's let's do oil. Let's do oil let's and dollars. Oil. I was going <laughs> to say that he's already let the cat out of the bag. That's that's jump in, mate. <laughs> but look at look, commodities are the most exciting space right now. We were in in our pre meeting. We we're talking about how do we uh, are commodities too boring? C- commodities are it's the action this decade. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. And the, the, but you got to be really careful. There's a saying Mark Twain said when he was asked, what's a gold mine? And he said, a gold mine is a hole in the ground with a liar standing at the top. So it's full of broken promises and shattered dreams, the mining industry. So you've got to be careful. Oil. Yeah. And, that, and that, sorry, just a big caveat. This is, none of this is financial advice, right? Please do your own research because this is the place where people will lose a lot of money and this is the place mm. people will make a lot of money. And sadly enough, majority always ends up losing. If you want to hedge yourself, from inflation and at the same time get good returns. Last 10 years have been tech stocks. The next 10, five already gone in my opinion, or maybe four, um, is commodities. And, and you, you, one thing that happens in inflationary periods of time is there's a flight towards tangible assets. So it's not a coincidence that we're talking about commodities and we also talk about real estate and they're both they're both doing really well. There's a flight towards assets um, that are finite and that you can see and touch. So th- this is a normal uh, n- normal result of inflationary times. Oil. Petrodollar. John, you take <laughs> Oh, geez. It's the, the handball that I love. Uh, all right. <laughs> He's excellent doing this. I'm going to throw the teaser question out here, I think. The, yeah, let's do it. I mean, the, the, okay, so, so before we jump on, I think there's one thing that three of us were scratching our heads um, in terms of what, uh, what US was doing this, this week. So if I'm understanding correctly, they switched off. Uh, well, they, they basically turned off in terms of buying any oil from Russia, uh, in a sense. But they're now turning their heads towards Iran and Saudi 
to say, you know, they actually want to purchase and want, want to buy uh, petrol or oil from them instead. So the question is, why are they doing that, right? The biggest question is, what's because they're obviously doing this for, for a specific reason, but all three of us sat there, scratch our heads, okay, what are the possibilities? Um, and I thought, you know, let's have an open discussion here in terms of what could be the possibility in that case. Right. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't really know. And it feels sinister to me, but I, I don't believe anything I hear anymore, which makes me a horrible, uh, horrible company at the dinner table. But um, so, so oil, uh, oil hit $125 this week, and it's back down to about 110, which is where it was last week when we we're all uh, looking at amazement at the oil price. Now, uh, Dave, you, you picked up on some the most interesting thing I think that's happening at the moment, which is um, US, when Biden came in, they stopped producing their own oil and they mm. cancelled the Keystone Pipeline, which was uh, pumping oil from uh, Canada into the US. Uh, they, they closed their, their, their oil pipelines and they started importing again. So under Trump, they were energy independent. Now we're importing oil again. They've cancelled imports from Russia of oil and that's fine. And now they're going to Iran and Venezuela and asking to, to import from them. So they're currently negotiating with what are, seem to be adversaries to, to bring in more oil. Furthermore, they went to the Saudis and they asked the Saudis to increase production of oil. And the Saudis said no. Now, obviously, that's because they like high prices, but it's also because the US doesn't have the same clout with Saudi Arabia that it, that it used to have. Now, Saudi Arabia, under the petrodollar system, it worked like this. Um, Saudi Arabia would insist on using and receiving US dollars to sell their oil, um, and in return, the US would guarantee their security. So the, the US was the military might that the, the Saudis had it in their back pocket, but in return, the Saudis would only use US dollars. Now, Saudis signed an agreement with Russia about six months ago. And presumably, Russia was going to be the muscle that America no longer was trusted to provide uh, after, after Afghanistan. So this is a very long way of sort of linking in. Um, if, there, if there's a decline in the clout of the US in the oil markets, what that really means is that there is, and if, and if dollars aren't needed to buy and sell oil, it's, it's a bad omen for the US dollar. So this brings it, you know, we talked about the interest rates being at the end of the debt cycle. We talked potentially about being the, at the end of the, an oil cycle and the, the petrodollar system. It's very likely that we could be winding down towards uh, a destruction of the US dollar if there is no link between oil and the dollar anymore. That was a very long-winded, uh, uh, obscure answer. But look, it's it's very interesting what's happening in the oil market. So I think we're actually, you know, we talk about this in the podcast as well. I think we're in the middle of an of an energy crisis that we have created for ourselves. The US could pump its own oil, but because Greta Thunberg is in charge of foreign policy and and energy policy, we don't. Uh, the, the US doesn't pump its own oil. All right, jazz. <laughs> so, so one possible reason could be is the cost to. Uh, pump out the oil or U.S. shell, right? If the cost, because it's U.S. US extracting oil is probably the most expensive compared to some of the other countries, Saudi, Russia, and all that stuff, right? 
And if the cost of extraction is going to get higher because they cannot source it from the other countries, uh, or mainly Russia in this case, uh, that leads to the other pressures related to uh, economy, the economic growth, because the cost of extraction all of a sudden goes up and there's no more imports happening. I'm not an expert in this space. Uh, that could be a total, totally wrong answer. The, the US could be oil independent within a year. Like they, they could just go on and switch it all back on. It's not quick, but it could take a year or two and they would, they'd be back to normal. So, uh, but, but, you know, back to Dave's question, why not? And I think that a lot of it is to do with, you know, regulation, particularly environmental regulation. It's almost not worth it. I think there's also a lack of will within the administration um, to, to um, mine controversial things like for mining in general. Um, we know that uh, there are ESG laws that make it difficult for oil producers to actually get loans. It's a very capital intensive business. So I think that I think that the reason they're not is largely political, but I think it comes through the banks and the insurance companies. Um, we know that there's oil there, but if you can't get a loan and you can't get insurance, uh, there's no point in mining it. What it's easy, what's easier to do is get the Saudis to, to uh, drill for oil. We print the money and just send it to them. Um, no one has to die on a rig. No one has to get their hands dirty. It's just easier to print the money and send it to them. All right. No, I think that's, uh, that, that does make sense um, ultimately. I, I guess it is, it is a speculation in our own. I think we, you know, we'll just keep watch uh, to see what's, uh, what, what do they continue to do. But, Jazz, I think that was, that was an interesting thought about US uh, starting to lose their world domination power. And I think this, this Russia invasion of Ukraine to a degree is probably a catalyst of that whole process, right? Detaching themselves from the US dollar, from the uh, from the world economy to a degree, and uh, yeah, I think it's all linking together. Basically, as you said, are we are we actually at a verge of a whole new chapter uh, in terms of the whole currency? This is this is the fourth turning that everyone talks about. Mm. Started with COVID, uh, increase the Fed's balance sheet, bring the rates down, start a war, slowly head towards Taiwan. It's it's all connecting. And the petrodollar system, sanctions don't work anymore. Uh, digital digital currencies come into play. Uh, dots are getting connected. You're going to be blind not to see it now. Look, look I, I, I always like to throw a little bit of cold water on this sort of thing because I, I agree with you and I agree that the clock is ticking on the, the, the dollar system. What I would say, though, is reserve currencies aren't based on who's got the biggest economy because while it is the US, it won't be the US for much longer. Um, it's all about the ability to project power and no one can project power like the US at the moment. So to, to illustrate, the US has got 800 bases outside the US and China's got, I think, one somewhere in Africa. N no one can project power, military or otherwise, like the US for the moment. And while they can still do that, they will still have the reserve currency. Um, but, but that doesn't mean they're pointing in the right direction and that doesn't mean they're not in a decline. That, that's absolutely true as well. Um, the, debt, the debt is going to be the undoing. Mm -hmm. and, and we have discussed milkshake theory on this podcast. <laughs> True. So that is playing out right in front of our eyes, where if you look at all the other currencies right now, they're really weakening against the US, just purely because it's got the reserve status. People, uh, times like these, want to hold on to the US dollars, right? You know, it's it's the, the dollar milkshake theory is super interesting because it's saying that the dollars, like, 
where's capital going to go? I mean, is it going to go into China, a communist dictatorship? Is it going to go into Thailand? Is it going to go to Australia, really? What, what, America is going to ca- suck up all the capital, right? Um, but what, what the gold price is telling us is that even though the US dollar is getting stronger, it's still all the currencies are getting weaker because even the US dollar is going down against the gold price. So um, it's like um, saying that the US dollar is stronger is like uh, two two trains going in reverse next to each other. The one that's going in reverse slightly slower isn't going forward. It's just it's just going <laughs> it's going backwards more slowly. So and that's well, what our currencies are like. They're all they're all going backwards, yeah. but some are going backwards more slowly. And just on the oil, one more thing on the oil. Um, we said in the last podcast that oil was overheated. It's obviously seen a pullback, but I don't think we are anywhere close to oil topping out. I think oil will go well and above 150, 200 uh, before this party ends or crashes. Yeah, I'm nervous. At, I'm nervous at 200. I mean, we've said in this podcast, the or at least I've said it that the, the the you know this whole boom, the debt cycles over at two two hundred dollar oil. You're right that it could actually be something like three hundred dollar oil, and it's going to be a lot bigger and a lot badder than we think. But I'm nervous at 200. Like, <laughs> so the last oil peak was about 145 dollars back in about 2007, something like that. If we if we so it's obviously going to be bigger than that. Is it bigger, going to be bigger than $147, $200, 300 Gosh, I mean, they're, they're, the mind boggles. I can't, I can't even conceptualize that. Yeah. Then, then you stop thinking about oil for a minute. When, when you start talking about oil prices in 200 300 then you stop thinking of oil for a second, but think of the domino effect that it's going to have on all the other things. Because mm. for everything, pretty much directly or indirectly, you need oil in terms of transportation mm. and all. And EVs aren't there just yet, right? So... Um, Man, there's, there's there's a lot coming our way. Seriously, there's a lot coming our way. John, you really need to rethink that RAF4 again, don't you? If, if <laughs> it's the a oil hybrid. prices keeps going up. <laughs> <laughs> and the nickel price. Well, the interesting but, but, as we touched John on, the nickel, nickel price is going up. But John doesn't care. He's playing it smartly. He bought all, he, he's, he'll go and buy a Ferrari that consumes probably <laughs> 20 liters every, uh, every, every 100, but then he'll hold all stocks. Which will, which will triple in value. So, <laughs> the, oil is free. So the best call I've ever made in my life uh, in financial markets, best call I ever made was marrying my lovely wife. But the best call I ever made in the markets was- You're such a liar. You're I, such, I know, I know. Such she, a liar. <laughs> she, she doesn't even listen to this podcast. Why am I? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, bought, I bought an oil ETF on the ASX the day after it went to zero in 2020 in April. And that, that was- I mean, like the timing, the the selection. So, uh, unfortunately, we put about twenty cents into it. So, when you double twenty cents, <laughs> you're still only left with forty cents. But um, that was a, that was a good call. That, that was, was a good call, call, though. That was a good call. <laughs> Just the, the volume, yeah, the amount, the amount need to go there. So, well, the percentage return has been pretty good. Look at it. Yeah, that's what <laughs> right. we're judging, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, good man. All right. Okay. Uh, look, I'm mindful of the time, Jazz. I think uh, crypto. Um, there's been a bit of update in terms of uh, Biden's uh, in US is looking to uh, to pass a regulation or uh, what's what's been happening there? Yeah, so Biden signed an executive order to um, basically look at regulating crypto. And I think one of the main reasons of passing the order during this period is with the sanctions, because crypto is one way to avoid sanctions by Russia, Ukraine, other countries, whoever is being sanctioned, where 
money can be laundered. So I think regulation is net net positive. Um, it's not that the industry is not regulated in the in terms of AML, AML KYC. It's already already fairly regulated from that perspective on ramps. It's more now um, the the regulators coming up to speed with how to start tracking some of this stuff. Where if uh, Russia is if Russia is doing money laundering into US or some other country, whatever happens, um, that they can track it down and block it uh, using using those key addresses essentially. So it's a net net positive. So hence hence the price uh, went up a little bit, but mm. that uh, there's no surprises over there. What what's surprising is that they if you if you read the thing carefully, it does talk about CBDC. Uh, central bank digital currency and how US is planning to um, have something more concrete in that space within the next six months. So okay. that will be the space to watch to see how how they how they actually execute this whole CBDC idea. US's digital currency. All right. Good. Um, anything else, gents? Anything else we want to add in? No, just next few years, few years are going to be very interesting. Uh, I don't even need to think a few years. I reckon next six months is going to be very interesting, mate. Yeah. <laughs> last two years, I'm already uh, exhausted uh, from the last two years, but uh, you're saying it gets better. You think, you think we, we think we've seen it all, but no, it's <laughs> only the beginning, right? It's only tip of the iceberg. So yeah, invest carefully uh, and invest within your means, which is always what we support uh, on this, uh, in terms of the concept on this podcast. All right. Um, so I guess uh, we'll probably call it a wrap. Um, like always, you know, uh, this is there's no this is not a financial advice. What we talked about here is basically just general opinions in terms of what we think. There's a lot of speculations, of course, but uh, you know, I think to a degree, everything does add up, and, um, and and you know, from from what we can see, we can start to join the dots. So hopefully, that uh, gives our listeners a bit of insight as well. Um, and um, you know, we will see you guys again uh, next week or next Friday with uh, more exciting news. John, Jazz and David, bye.